Welcome to Grain Talk, a podcast by Grain Farmers of Ontario. I'm Rachel Telford. And I'm Lillian Kim. The Grain Talk podcast can be found on Apple iTunes, Spotify, and under the Grain Talk tab at gfo.ca. Please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform. This podcast is sponsored by Pioneer. In this episode of Grain Talk, we feature the Great Lakes Yield Enhancement Network in a conversation with Marty Vermeer, Grain Farmers of Ontario's Senior Agronomist, Joanna Fallings, Cereal Specialist with the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs, and Kevin Van Etten, a farmer who participated in the first year of the Yen Project. I will chat with Crosby Devitt, CEO of Grain Farmers of Ontario, about some important upcoming events. And this week, we spotlight HR on the farm with a look at the connection between farm management and mental health. First, a Grain Talk news update. Variety trial results have been posted for soybeans, and corn hybrid information is also now available for some regions. The soybean variety trials are conducted by the Ontario Soybean and Canola Committee, and results can be found at gosoy.ca. The Ontario Hybrid Corn Performance Report is produced by the Ontario Corn Committee and is available for areas 1 to 5 at gocorn.net. Grain Farmers of Ontario is a member of both committees and a supporter of the variety trials. Grain Farmers of Ontario was honoured to be recognised at the Canadian Agri-Food Marketers Alliance Best of Cama 2021 Awards Ceremony. We were finalists in nine different categories for our public outreach and member communication initiatives. We were awarded a win in the product or service video category for our Ontario Grain Farming 101 video series and a win in the category a public relations tactic directed at the general public for good in every grains draw with Rob series. Grain Farmers of Ontario's press release for the launch of the Great Lakes Yield Enhancement Network received a certificate of merit. The Canadian Agri-Food Marketers Alliance was formerly known as the Canadian Agri-Marketing Association. A new name and logo for the organization was announced at the end of the award ceremony that took place last week. We offer our congratulations to all of the 2021 Best of Camera Awards recipients. Thank you to all of our farmer members who have completed the Grain Farmers of Ontario Farmer Member Survey. If you haven't completed this survey, we still need to hear from you. Your survey answers help us make a better organization. Complete the Farmer Member Survey online at gfo.ca slash survey and be entered into our November gift card drawing. You can also mail back the printed survey you received with the September edition of the Ontario Grain Farmer magazine. All survey respondents, whether paper or online, will be eligible for the final drawing of a Yeti Cooler prize pack to be drawn in February. Keep listening for my conversation about the Great Lakes Yield Enhancement Network. This Grain Talk podcast is brought to you by Pioneer. Listen to season two of the Pioneer Major Grow podcast as host Andrew Campbell and his trusted guests cover the latest industry news, ag innovations, tips, tricks, and more. Looking for higher milk production from your cows? Pioneer brand BMR corn silage is the topic of the season's penultimate episode as Andrew welcomes Klaus Kohler, North American Corn Breeding Logistics Lead for Catabra AgriScience, and Ashley Napton, Key Dairy Account Manager for Pioneer to discuss how BMR corn offers outstanding fiber digestibility, which leads to higher feed consumption among high producing cows. Find the Pioneer Made to Grow podcast with Andrew Campbell, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.
The Great Lakes Yen Enhancement Network and its participants gathered this week to celebrate the closing out of the 2021 pilot year. Yen was a bold step, a significant collaboration, a first of its kind, not only in Ontario, but also across the border. Grain Farmers of Ontario, the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs, Michigan Wheat Program, Michigan State University, and the University of Guelph launched the Great Lakes Yen to help farmers and the industry build insights and knowledge about practices and other factors impacting yield. In its inaugural year, the Yen focused solely on winter wheat, working with 40 farmers from Ontario, Michigan, and Ohio to determine the difference in actual and potential yields. Joining us today are two of the Yen's organizers. Joanna Fallings is a cereal specialist from Omafra. It's nice to have you with us today, Joanna. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. And Grain Farmers of Ontario Senior Agronomist Marty Vermey. Glad to have you here, Marty. Thanks for having me on. And we have a nice surprise. Joining us is the gold award winner for the top actual yield produced, Kevin Van Netten from Simcoe, Ontario, who brought in a very impressive yield, grain yield of 152.8 bushels per acre. Congratulations and thank you for taking the time to join us today, Kevin. Oh, thank you very much and uh, thank you very much for in- including me on this today. Now, just to start off the discussion, Joanna, can you please just tell us a, a bit more about the end project and why there was a decision to bring it to Ontario and how the partnership was created with Michigan? Yeah, sure. So the Yen or the Yield Enhancement Network is something that was actually started in the UK uh, and it has had really, really good success there. Uh, Growers were able to dive deeper into the wheat management and gain a better understanding of where their yields were coming from and what the actual potential was on their farms based on their growing conditions, their soil type, all those sorts of good things. Uh, They got a better sense of what practices were working well for them and which weren't, and whether their decisions on the farm were actually economical. On top of that, they had a little bit of a competition for highest yield and highest uh, potential yield or percent of potential yield to help growers, you know, push growers even further with their management uh, in the UK. And what's really cool about it, uh, or what I think is really cool about it, is that it gave folks the opportunity to learn from one another. And so that really, well, I guess that peer-to-peer learning really came into play. So because this U- the Yen had started in the UK, uh, Roger Sylvester Bradley and Ruth Wade were actually invited to the Southwest Egg Conference two years ago to talk about the Yen and, and tell us all these great things about it and what it has meant for farmers in the UK and how it's brought along their wheat production. And they also talked about the yen they launched in Prince Edward Island. And so that talk really resonated with a lot of folks here in Ontario. And uh, people like Dale Cowan, for example, uh, from Eggers Co-op, they, he even started a small pilot of his own uh, in the South. And then from there, a group of us got together to talk about you know, how could we actually start a bigger yen here in Ontario and uh, Dennis Pennington was also part of that and saw this presentation and had a lot of interest. And then that's where the momentum started to build and the support of Grain Farmers of Ontario and Michigan Wheat Growers was really critical in that. And, and, and that's where it came in or they came in and it, and it really grew from there. And this idea was then brought to the Great Lakes Wheat Workers meeting and that group there also had some interest. So we actually have some neighboring states that have interest in joining next year. And we just really felt that the program was an excellent opportunity to bring 
wheat management to the next level in the region. Uh, we thought it's also a great opportunity to get growers in the Great Lakes region together to learn from one another. And hopefully over time, the information that we learn from this project can actually help us develop, you know, critical nutrient levels for those nutrients we know little about or improve our other management recommendations like seeding dates and seeding rates and just overall just be able to help everyone involved better understand what the yield limiting factors are for wheat production in the region and how we can manage them to improve our yields and profitability and keep wheat as an integral part of field crop systems in the region. And now Marty, can you go into a little bit of detail? What exactly did the participants have to do in order to be part of this project? Well, the simple answer is they had to grow wheat. I mean, that's the first step. I know it sounds kind of simple, but realistically, it's not a bunch of microplots. It's not a variety trial. It's not fungicide trials. It's not a whole bunch of different comparisons within a field. What we're doing is comparing one farmer's practices and what they're currently doing. So they really don't have to alter anything. Now, most farmers want to try for a little bit of higher yield. They're doing some unique things, but we're not comparing differences within their field. We're really comparing differences across the entire geography and comparing areas on how those areas kind of perform with that management. So in the end of the day, the farmer can sit down and take a look at his management against everybody else in the project and say, hey, you know what? It looks like these kind of things, if I did this differently, I may be able to increase my yield. That's really what the goal of the project is. And there are a few things that farmers do need to do in order to capture that information. And it's sharing of their agronomic information, their practices and what they did and how they did it. Uh, but also we go a little bit deeper into this project and we need to have a soil core. So we take the soil analysis in the springtime to know what nutrients are in the ground and what type of ground. And that helps us kind of figure out the water holding capacity. But we also take a look at uh, two tissue samples through the growing season. So we need at two different times at growth stage 31 and growth stage 39, uh, we do need to have tissue samples. So we have an analysis of the plant. So we know the nutrient levels in the plants as well as a 100 grab sample of the plants at harvest time when the plants are mature. And we analyze, you know, measure the grain, measure the straw, the chaff, uh, seeds are counted. There's a lot of really, really detailed work that goes into this project to really understand what all the yield components are, what's making up that yield. And it was cool this year, we just seen all the differences and, and all the fields and all the different measurements and really, we're just trying to compare everybody and, and what is making up our yield and what's really important so we can change those practices that we can get a higher percentage of our potential. Because it's really about improving the yield on our farm, not just having the highest yield and throwing everything at it. Because you know what? Sometimes throwing everything at it doesn't really give us the highest yield. It's tweaking certain practices to maximize our highest percentage. And that's why we have... Um, all that detailed information and also the water holding capacity and the environmental weather that's occurring during the year, how much rainfall and how much solar radiation, because we have a crop model that really helps us identify what the yield potential is of every location, because every location is different, every soil is different. Uh, so we know the yields do range across this geography. So that's really what farmers have to provide is be able to provide those samples at the critical time, as well as their agronomic information and be, wearing, be willing to share that. Now, Kevin, the Yenua is brand new to, to Ontario. So what encouraged you to decide to get involved with something that was relatively unknown in this province? 
Well, growing, uh, growing crops is a, is a passion of mine. And then uh, raising the, the high yields is, is, is actually an obsession. So when Marty contacted me throughout the winter or late winter, early spring about joining in on the yin project, um, I was definitely quite, in, quite intrigued. Uh, this was a, a first-hand opportunity to work with um, colleagues within the industry and, and farmers, and we had the ability to raise the bar in wheat production here in, in Ontario. Um, the information that I learned from, from this Yen project, I then could utilize on my own farm as well as for my customers in making recommendation to, to bring up their own yield plateaus on their own farm operations. So it was a great, great fit for my personal farm, for my clients to, to gain information and an inside knowledge of, of wheat. And it just bring up the whole, uh, bring in the whole wheat industry in Ontario to, to newer levels. Now, this is a question that I'm hoping to pose to everyone, and I would love to get um, insight from each of you. The project itself was a labor of love um, from all who were involved, and the results for 2021 were significant. Was it a surprise that the results came out as they did, and were you expecting these kinds of numbers? I can jump in first there if you'd like. So um, I would say in terms of the yield results, I, I wasn't surprised about the yield results itself. I, you know, I think that these yields are attainable here in Ontario. And uh, what we saw, I think, is in line with what, what producers have been able to accomplish. I think what came out as a surprise were some of the factors that we found were correlated to yield and those that weren't correlated to yield. So in the project, we found that total biomass, nitrogen applications and uptake and heads per meter square were highly correlated with yields. And I think we could all agree with that. But what was really interesting was that other factors like planting date and um, the weather through certain parts of the year weren't a huge, highly correlated with high yields. And so there's some of those things that I think we're surprised and really it just shows that we've still got a, a lot to learn and, and more to dive into in the project um, as the years go on. Yeah, I, I think I was a little surprised at the yield. I guess maybe I'm, I'm surprised we got over 150. But then when, then again, when I step step back and take a look at it, it's like, while we are taking a, a set spot in the field, we're not taking the whole farm average, a whole field average, because we want to analyze the data in that certain spot. So soil type varies within a field. So we were very specific in the field and it had to be a, you know, an acre and a half to three acres spot in the field. that's really uniform and really analyze that area. So it, it's almost like if you're doing kind of like a, a strip plot in the field and it's just that strip where I'm used to the numbers of, you know, 120, 130 that are field averages. So I was nicely surprised at the yields we were at. I really didn't know what kind of percentage um, of our potential we would be able to achieve uh, from the UK. I've, I've heard of a lot in that 60 to 70. So we were in that range, um, but we were having quite a few lower than that. And it, and it could be environment and just the, the conditions that happened this year and, and some learnings that some of the farmers had. And I think that's a critical thing for a lot of farmers, not to always pick your best field, but to look at some of the other uh, fields that you have and, and maybe figure out how you can improve those yields. I think that's going to be the goal of this project over time is to make sure that we can, you know, get our 
lower producing acres and figure out those acres and how to get them more productive. And we learned a lot yesterday in our meeting with all of our participants. As far as what I found surprising with the yield results, the back in 2012, the Grain Farmers of Ontario uh, ran a yield competition. And at that point in time, um, one of my growers was able to, to grow 144 bushels per acre. So we knew that, that that number was, you know, achievable because it's been done done here in Ontario in the past. Um, what surprised me the most was was the percent potential yield that uh, that that has been identified for my farm. And so when I look at that, I'm only achieving 61.37 percent of my yield potential. Um, definitely, the goal is to to raise that bar and knowing that there is more yield potential available so we're out there to get so that that was what surprised me the most and kevin because you got to be part of the process what did you find the most interesting part of it being part of this network and just participating in a project like this the most interesting part that i received was when everything was all said and done and then i got the my report of all the information that the the people did on to to put all the information together. So throughout the growing season, students came and took samples. They took pictures. They walked through the crop, and they were very great to talk to and, and talking about the crop and asked a lot of questions about the crop. And then when we got the report and all the information that was done throughout the year to put into a summary, that was amazing and I'm continually going through this information now trying to figure out what my next step is in making my my farm better. And did you want to elaborate a little bit more do you have um, uh, ideas in terms of that you would want to share about uh, what you might uh, do going forward uh, that might be different from what you were doing in the past? Sure the um, going through all the the soil reports and seeing where my numbers were compared to the top 10% or to the whole group and trying to um, figure out why some of my numbers are, are low and some of mine are high. When we get into percent magnesium, for example, I was on the bottom of the, the, of the spectrum. But on the percent calcium, I was on the high, high end of the spectrum. So figuring out which nutrients or which elements that we could bring up the bar in and the information that was on the report uh, allows me to, to do that. And then we had tissue tests and soil tests that also identified areas that probably could be improved on. And just to piggyback on that, actually, Marty and Joanna... Uh, Joanna, if you want to add to that, um, is that what you were hearing back from other participants as well? Similar sort of um, situations and, and, and learnings um, when they were going through the project as well? Yeah, I actually was just talking with a producer this morning. Um, they're continuing to go through the f report and tease things out. And yeah, just like Kevin, they're they're just trying to grapple which areas, you know, they think that they they fell short on or that maybe they could adjust like uh, soil, soil level test levels is a key area that some folks are looking at. Uh, you know, there's lots of questions about the tissue analysis and, you know, what they could do in season to improve those levels in their crop. So absolutely. 
Uh, those are, I would say, the, the key areas is this, the soil tests as well as the tissue tests. Um, and then I've actually had a few other growers reach out and say they're going to, you know, going forward, they're going to try to do their best to play around with their seeding dates and their seeding rates, because to them, that was an area they felt that they could improve upon. So it's great to hear that folks are, you know, going through the report and trying to digest it and um, are already thinking about tweaks and things that they want to improve upon going forward. I haven't uh, talked to anyone directly yet about their own personal report, but I know going through the reports, the, the drafts, and uh, I, I'm like very, very inquisitive. So I was kind of looking and, and seeing, okay, uh, this farmer landed in this area and just looking at the analysis of the field and, and trying to scope out where the weaknesses may be and where maybe some adjustments and changes could occur for next year it was just very, very intriguing for me. And, and I hope a lot of the growers will be able to have that opportunity to really dig into it. And, and there's so much. I think there was, uh, what was it, Joanna, like 22 pages. Um, but all of the box graphs that allow you to understand you know, what the 50% of the farmers were achieving, what the high and lows were, which was a pretty wide range. And where you fell within that just gives you so much valuable information and, and uh, gives you the idea. Because before, when you look at soil samples, you're only looking at your own and you really don't know where the bigger scope is and how that fits with higher yield potential or higher percentage yield. Um, you, this really gives you a bigger picture. Now, Joanna, this was a very collaborative effort on many fronts. What do you think this says about the future of farming and how collaboration plays a role in it? <laughs> this is a good question. So I personally think that collaboration and coming together on projects like this, especially when you have the same goal, is so, so critical. Oftentimes, you know, beyond just the yen, like we are trying to accomplish the same thing in many, many cases, but we often find ourselves working in silos. And I think what this project really shows is the power in numbers and the power of coming together. Uh, folks have, you know, different ideas or different perspectives to bring to the table. They have different access to resources. Uh, and if you are, you know, able to all come together, especially when you have a common goal, you can do so much more than you can do on your own. And like, I think Grain Farmers of Ontario, for example, does a really good job of this, not just in the end, but on so many fronts, like we see that with the different research clusters, for example. And, and when we look at crop production and, and wheat production in particular, there are so many layers that you're dealing with, like you're talking about weather, soils, agronomy, precision egg, and it's very difficult to look at all those layers and so many factors on your own. And I think if you can bring in that different expertise and bring in those different perspectives, it just makes a project like this so much stronger and, and so much more likely to be successful. And I, I really don't think that without every single contributor to this project, uh, whether that's the University of Guelph, the researchers that helped with the modeling, uh, the folks at OMAFRA and the GIS unit who helped us create the survey to collect the data, and, and Chris who helped us generate the box plots, and, and GFO with their leadership uh, in, in communications and funding, and Michigan Wheat as well, and everyone in the project. Like, everyone had, uh, you know, a very critical part to contribute, and I just think it goes to show that when you come together, you can really accomplish some pretty cool things. Now, Marty, choosing the award winners was a rigorous process um, that involved many factors and a huge thanks to all the participants. Can you give us a little more detail around the determining factors to choose who won? 
Sure, we let the uh, the numbers kind of guide us in that uh, in that area. We had uh, two different categories uh, where we had the different winners. Uh, one was for the the level that they have achieved for potential yield, so the, the highest percentage that they achieved on their potential yield, and, and also pure yield, so the highest yielding. So today we have Kevin with us, who was the gold award winner at 152.8 bushels per acre. But we also had Ken Smith, who got silver, and he was 151.3, so really tight race. And then we had Jeff Cook of London um, at the bronze level, and he had 140.6. And I just bring that to our attention because the yields are so tight, and a lot of people say, wow, those are some, some high yields. And they're all on different soil types. And uh, But they're all real focused managers that have been incorporating a lot of unique things onto their farm with, you know, rotations and cover crops and, and um, manure is what we learned from the meeting yesterday is it's, they've, they've got, uh, they got a secret recipe and they're getting some higher yields. Uh, we also found out um, for achieving the highest percentage, 73.7% was achieved by Jeff Crone in uh, Owendale, Michigan. Um, and, and Jeff does some unique things. Uh, so it was really neat understanding the winners and what they do on their particular farm and, and sharing that with everybody was really great. The, the silver winner for achieving 67% of the potential yield was Gordon Briggs from Scottsville, Michigan. And the bronze level for achieving 66.6% was Adam Pfeffer from uh, St. Thomas. So um, we really appreciate all the effort that all the farmers did. Um, but yeah, picking picking the winners was, was all about the numbers game and achieving the highest percentage of your potential or the actual yield. Now, Kevin, you are a young alumni now. What do you think future participants can learn or take away from being a pro part of a project like this? The, the entire process for the yen is is very is very good. Um, Joanna and, and the OMAF staff have done a great job in in organizing it. Um, the summer students that came out were were excellent, and uh, they're students, but they asked a lot of questions and. They were very respectful of our farms when they came in. It was, they were, they were excellent. The future participants and the participants, I think from this year, the entrance report that we received after everything was all said and done that summarized our, our results. Um, that is, it's an amazing um, piece of paper. It's, it's interesting to go through it and that from that report, participants will will definitely get a closer understanding of their of their soil and of their crop and what their potentials are. And just one final question to Joanna and Marty: It was a successful first year, and a lot to be proud of and excited about. Will the yen be returning, and how can farmer members get involved? Yeah, I'll uh, jump in there. Um... Yeah, it was, a, it was a very successful year. And um, yeah, we are ex extending the project again. We're trying to make this a, a full-time project really because we need a lot of data in order to build up the critical values in, in the Great Lakes region to say what are some critical values in soil or in tissue. Um, more data is really needed to help build some of the analysis that was done. I mean, we had 40 total sites last year, which was great, but it's really just a a smaller number in order to build the database that we really need. So we really need to continue this project and doing it for consecutive years and with more farms and different geographies, we're really gonna help build that database and really get more knowledgeable. So yeah, we really appreciate any farmers that, are, that wanna be involved next year, learn more about their wheat production um, and, and work with other agronomists and work with uh, uh, 
uh, the researchers and, and the extension staff to learn more on what they can do on their farm. So there is a website that people can go to. It's, it's the greatlakesyen.com, uh, so www.greatlakesyen.com. And um, you, on there, you can go in and you can register if, if you want to register your field. We are going to have limited spaces available. Um, we're going to have a total of 50 in Ontario, and I think we're about halfway uh, getting our completion. So there's still some time. Uh, we will be wrapping things up here in January and have to start moving on to next year's project. But if anybody's interested, uh, yeah, please register yourself and then we'll reach out to you. Just to reiterate, we've got one year's of data. And, and while we've learned a lot from this year, um, from those 43 sites, uh, we really want to build on that. And, and when we say build on that, the goal, uh, as I previously mentioned, was to be able to to do things like, you know, determine critical values for some of the nutrients that we don't currently have critical values for. And, you know, after a few years of this project with a number of locations and growing conditions, we're hoping that we'll actually be able to, you know, come to a conclusion on some of that, uh, better recommend seeding rates and seeding dates and, and all those sorts of things. So um, I think there's a real opportunity for us here in the Great Lakes region um, to bring our wheat production to, to the next level. Thank you to Kevin, Joanna, and Marty for joining us today. And thank you and congratulations to all the Yen participants and organizers. If you would like more information on the Great Lakes Yen project and how to participate, please visit greatlakesyen.com. Joining us this week for an update on what's been happening here at Grain Farmers of Ontario is CEO Crosby Dubbett. Welcome to the podcast, Crosby. Thanks, Rachel. It's good to be here once again. And uh, I guess before we really get started in our conversation, I'd like to congratulate you, Rachel, on your new role at Grain Farmers of Ontario as our Manager of Member Relations. Thanks, Crosby. I'm really looking forward to getting into the role and, and connecting even more than I already have been with our delegates and directors and, and, of course, all of our farmer members. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Now, one thing that uh, I think everybody's been talking about is the harvest this fall. You know, we had a couple of days of good weather and now it's turned rainy again. What have you been seeing out there lately in terms of how harvest has been wrapping up? Yeah, it's, uh, well, in some areas, wrapping up is maybe the right thing uh, to say, and then in some areas, certainly not. So it's been a it's been a, a long, drawn-out harvest this fall. I, you know, if we look at, we actually, uh, a lot of farmers got soybeans harvested in September, some of them, and then not a whole lot can happen in October due to weather, and it's just been on and off uh, through November here. And uh, so there is a... a big significant portion of the soybean crop is is in the bin which is good but there are still soybeans in the field that need to come off um, and on the corn side there's still probably more more corn than soybeans certainly in the field to come off we did hear um, you know with the weather we saw earlier this week when the ground froze a bit and we had a couple a uh, couple cold days uh, the areas that didn't have big big snowfall uh, we're able to get back into the fields and uh, and they held up some equipment until it's kind of thawed out and turned rainy again here today. So uh, 
let's hope that there's another good window in the next uh, the next few days uh, to get some of these corns and the remaining soybeans out of the field. One thing to note is despite the delays, we are still seeing in the corn crop at least some good quality. I, I was talking with the, the farmer near my house and they actually got a window to harvest and then had to stop because they, um, you know, had such high yields that, um, you know, their bins were full and they, you know, their dryer capacity was full. So at least we're seeing some pretty decent yields. Yes, and that's certainly uh, the good news of this of this corn crop, especially um, that uh, for the most part, farmers are reporting that they're they're having some some pretty good yields, and uh, so then uh, it's always a bit more encouraging when you're struggling a little bit when the crop is is good versus a poor crop. So I think uh, that helps keep spirits up in the in the face of some of this adversity they're facing. Um, but yeah, I think it's. Uh, it, it's a it's a decent corn crop and you know when we look at globally and in through the u.s and markets um you know the market is saying we want crops right uh, just like every supply chain these days it's it's strained to some degree but uh prices have responded and said you know we want we want your crops and so that's another a good thing that that comes along uh when you have have a decent yield and when we talk about supply chain issues, you know, the farmers are doing their job in terms of getting the grain into the system, but we're seeing bottlenecks in other areas on both sides of the supply chain when it comes to maybe some inputs and, and fertilizers. We're seeing an increase in prices and then seeing other supply chain issues. So, you know, there's a government relations policy day coming up for our delegates. And I, and I know you were saying that that's going to be a topic of conversation. You know, what do you think that discussion is going to be about? Definitely. So, yeah, we are seeing some real concerns uh, looking ahead to spring in, in terms of the pricing of fertilizer, especially, but also potential availability. I don't think anybody really knows uh, how this story will play out. Um, so, yeah, we have a delegates policy day coming up in a couple of weeks. And one of the key topics we'll be talking about supply chain fertilizer. We're going to have a guest speaker talking about you know, kind of the North American supply and demand and factors around fertilizer, uh, which we know is an essential part of uh, growing a good crop. You got to feed the crop. It's uh, it's plant food. It's not just an optional thing. Uh, the other part too that we're that's happening concurrently is some you know some direction from the government of Canada around emissions targets uh, around climate change, and they've set a target of thirty percent reduction of fertilizer emission targets and some you know a lot of questions around what that really means and how we get there but we do want to have some discussion with delegates and farmers and say where are they at in their thinking on that and what tools are they looking for to help better manage fertilizer uh what is currently available what's working what's not and uh, how can we advocate on their behalf as we go ahead now the policy day is just for delegates, but we have an opportunity for all farmer members to participate in really important meetings coming up in January, and those are our district meetings. Absolutely. So, yeah, our January district meetings, we've got 15 meetings uh, in the earlier part of January, first couple weeks. Uh, the schedule is posted on our website and will be published in the uh, in the Grain, Ontario Grain Farmer magazine uh, that's coming out. And so we encourage all farmer members to be involved in those. They will be virtual this year, hopefully our last set of virtual meetings, but uh, we wanted to make sure they were available for everybody uh, and uh, didn't hit, hit on capacity limits, things like that. Um, so open to all farmer members. 
hear what's going on, what are the priorities of GFO. Uh, it's also a critical meeting where farmer members elect their delegates for the coming year. And those delegates in turn elect uh, their director uh, for their two-year term. So the even-numbered districts will be electing their directors for a two-year term. Um, the odd-numbered districts elected theirs last year, so those directors will be entering into their second year of their two-year terms. So uh, pretty exciting, uh, good meetings, and uh, an opportunity to hear from farmers as well. So there's resolutions, there's opportunities to hear and share what is important to you for the organization to work on over the coming years. So certainly really looking forward to uh, a whole bunch of meetings coming up in early January. And for those who are looking forward to actual in-person meetings, we're very happy to be able to host the March Classic in 2022 as a live in-person event. Absolutely. So we're getting pretty excited about that. We've got a number of excellent speakers lined up. So we are planning to be in person in March at the uh, in London, Ontario for our March Classic. And uh, just a bit of a highlight, we've got the U.S. Farm Report doing a, uh, a live show uh, where we'll be taping it, uh, an episode at the March Classic. We've got Sonny Perdue, former uh, Ag Secretary in the U.S., talking about his perspective on U.S. farm politics and uh, how that might affect Canada. And our other keynote speaker is going to be Jody Wilson-Raybould, former uh, cabinet minister and uh, politician who's, uh, who's got some really interesting leadership insights uh, to share with us about uh, working in the Canadian political system and trying to make change. So we're really looking forward to our speaker lineup. And also seeing lots of farmers and uh, reconnecting in person. So can't wait. Sounds like we have a lot going on over the next couple of months and certainly a lot to look forward to as we hopefully get out of this COVID-19 pandemic. Absolutely. Thanks, Crosby, for your time today. Thanks, Rachel. Take care. This Green Talk podcast is brought to you by Pioneer. Season two of the Pioneer Make to Grow podcast is in full swing. Tune in as host Andrew Campbell and his trusted guests cover the latest industry news, ag innovations, tips, tricks, and more. Topics covered this year include how the agricultural industry can improve government relations, increasing SCN pressure and white mold in soybeans, the Enlist weed control system, and how Pioneer brand BMR corn silage can boost milk production in your cows. Great topics, trusted industry voices, more expert ag advice, Find the Pioneer Made to Grow podcast with Andrew Campbell wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Season two is now on. Green Farmers of Ontario's HR on the Farm program links farmer members with resources to help their business succeed. In this week's HR Spotlight, we hear from Heather Watson, the Executive Director at Farm Management Canada, about the connection between farm management and mental health. In 2020, we embarked on a study to look at what was the connection, was there a connection between mental health and farm business management? And this stemmed from knowing that stress can really impact you know, your ability to make decisions, your ability to regulate your emotions, how much sleep you get, and how much you socialize with others, which we kind of figured would have an impact on the business and how you manage the business. So we embarked on a study in 2020, uh, later called Healthy Minds, Healthy Farms, 
where we explored this connections. So we looked at the mental health status of farmers across Canada, as well as some of their coping mechanisms, and then kind of compared that to business practices uh, being adopted, as well as, you know, reflections on the impacts or the benefits of those practices. Our study found that creating and following a written business plan, for example, leads to lower stress levels, um, as well as better coping mechanisms. So when you have a business plan in place, your tendency when stress runs high and decision-making becomes clouded is to go back to the plan and kind of figure out where were we hoping to be, what were we hoping to do, and you know what are we going to do now that we're facing this obstacle or this challenge. So it kind of gives you a reference point for decision-making um, against what you were hoping would happen or how you were hoping things would go, and now what does that mean? So from planning, you can look at your best case, your worst case, your most likely case scenario, and really that leads to being able to sleep at night because you've already figured out if times get really, really tough, we'll still be okay because we've taken these measures on the financial side or on the HR side, um, taking care of each other. So um, it really gives you kind of that that backstop, but also that, you know, guiding light to to get you through difficult situations and and remain resilient. So we also looked at, you know, the reasons why some of these business practices aren't adopted, specifically looking at business planning. 41% um, of our respondents indicated that um, they're simply succeeding without it, um, which kind of makes us scratch our heads a little bit because we also know from a study that 75% of farmers are um, reporting mid to high levels of, of stress, prolonged and significant stress. Um, and then we also know, of course, that the producers who do follow a written business plan are reporting, you know, greater peace of mind. And so it, it causes us to pause a little bit and think about, you know, how are we defining success? How are producers defining success? Is it profitability? Is it, um, you know, maintaining the farm legacy or transitioning the farm? Um, or perhaps it has to do with family farm team harmony. Perhaps it has to do with levels of stress and anxiety. Um, and that's actually what we found on the other side. We said, okay, so, um, you know, you you do adopt these business practices and what have been the benefits that you see. And so profitability is certainly among them, but also feeling like you're, you're more in control of the risks out there. So feeling like um, there's a little less uncertainty because you've taken the time to, to plan ahead and to look at various scenarios, um, as well as trying to keep the business on track, kind, trying to keep the business positioned to seize opportunities. And then, you know, back to the family and farm team harmony, as well as um, trying to reduce stress and anxiety caused by the unpredictability of the ag sector or uncertainty that producers face. You can read more about farm management and mental health in the December issue of the Ontario Green Farmer magazine, arriving in mailboxes this week. Thank you for listening to our Grain Talk podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. For more ways to connect with us, including the latest webinar, market report, and our e-newsletter, go to gfo.ca slash grain talk. A special thank you to our guests this week, Marty Vermey, Joanna Fallings, Kevin Van Netten, Crosby Devitt, and Heather Watson. And if you like what you've heard today, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple iTunes and Spotify. And remember, five-star reviews help us grow our audience. This is the last Grain Talk podcast for the year. 
We look forward to having more conversations with you in 2022.